Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us a word uh, that, that speaks to our very life and our heart and the deepest need inside us. Uh, I thank you that, that cell phones don't meet our needs. I thank you that games don't meet our needs and that work doesn't meet our needs and uh, nothing in this world except your spirit and our connection with your spirit and the life your spirit pours into us truly meets our deepest, most inner needs and desires. God, we, we ask your forgiveness and, and patience with us as we go to so many other things to meet our needs, as we are, are um, distracted by so many things, when there's really one thing needful, and that's to, to humbly depend upon you. And uh, God, we need you so much. We can't even understand the word that you give us without your Holy Spirit revealing it to us, opening our hearts, giving our mind understanding. So we pray, uh, God, that you would give us peace in this room, and God, that we would be able to focus our hearts on you completely. In your name we pray, amen. So in Exodus chapter 19, we're going to learn about the connection between Exodus 19 and Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to teach you guys a few things today. You're going to learn quite a few things. Might be a good day to take notes. The Feast of Shavuot. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I don't speak Hebrew. But if you, if you throw some guttural sounds in, it sounds very Hebrew. Shavuot. We'll just say that. Say it that way. This is one of the three great feasts in the Jewish calendar. And it, its name means 50 the number five zero, because it was 50 days after Passover. And in English, we call this feast the Feast of Pentecost. Okay, that's the English translation of the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Shavuot. Okay, now this was primarily a farming festival, and we also know it by the name of the festival of first fruits. Okay, so this would happen 50 days after Passover, which was the beginning of the year. So it was in the springtime when the, when the, the, the plants were just starting to grow, and so they would bring the first fruits of this festival, and they would, they would throw a party to, to God, and they would offer some, some of these sacrifices to him. But over the years, as the Jewish community grew and the rabbis studied, they realized that there were, the timing of this feast lined up perfectly with what we have been studying in Exodus chapter 19, the giving of the Ten Commandments and the giving of the law happened at the festival, the same day of the festival of first fruits or Shavuot or Pentecost, okay? So they started to realize these connections to this events here, the giving of the law, which for Israel initiated or started what was called the old covenant. You guys remember what we studied last week about the old covenant? So you guys have that in your mind of what that law is. It wasn't for us, it was for the nation of Israel so that they could be partners with God in bringing his good news to the whole world, which they did not keep, right? Okay, but a very compelling connection is also in the Bible and has been found uh, in the New Testament. So it's not just Pentecost from the Old Testament. Specifically in Acts chapter 2, we see a, a, a more famous Pentecost now, what we know. So I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 2, verses um, 1 through 15. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let's go back to Exodus chapter 19, where you guys are already have your fingers. In verse 16, we're going to pick it up and we're going to investigate and see some amazing parallels and connections right here. Verse 16 in Exodus 19. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings. I'm going to stop right there because the Hebrew word for thunderings means voices or languages. Isn't that bizarro? Okay. And lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with the Lord God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Now we're going to look at at a dozen or so things that connect these two events. And so we're just going to kind of go through a, a list of 12 things. So I'll even number them for you. Number one, number one, both of these, these events took place on the same time on the same month, which is the feast of, Pas- of uh, first fruits or Pentecost. They were number two. Let's check this out. Number two, 50 days after sacrificing the Passover lamb, the Israelites received a covenant from God. Okay, this 10 commandments that we're studying. But in the book of Acts, 50 days after Jesus was sacrificed as our Passover lamb, the church receives a new covenant from God. The fulfillment of the new covenant with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? Same day, same time. Number three, God showed up at both of these events. Really important. Number four, Both of these events occurred on a mountain. A mountain. One was at Mount Sinai. The other was on Mount Zion, which is what we call Jerusalem today. And Jerusalem is really interesting. It's like a city built on top of a mountain. And there's five. It's like a hand if you put it like this. When you go there on vacation or or trip, you'll you'll learn this. It's like fingers and you have all these these different valleys that run like fingers, five different, it goes to other mountains and stuff, but it's built on top of this mountain. It's really interesting the way it's set up on top of Mount Zion. Number five, both of these events happen to newly redeemed people. The Exodus, the one in Exodus marks the beginning of the Israel nation and Pentecost marks the birth of the church. All right? Number six. 
Both events involved God's people receiving a gift. So in this Old Testament version of it, they receive a gift of a, a plaque of a rock on a rock written the Ten Commandments with the, with the finger of God on stone. God gives it uh, to Moses. And what does he directly do with it? <laughs> he smashes it on the ground and breaks it, right? In the church, he gives a gift of his Holy Spirit into the very bodies of the church. So he's done with these gifts that can be broken. Now he's giving a gift inside where it's safe. Okay? All right. Number seven. In both events, the gift was given by God by, with God settling on a mountain with fire. Fire in the Bible and in ancient times represents divinity or, or God. Okay, it's something that, that represented God. And so many times when we see visions of God and visions of Jesus in heaven or when we see into the spiritual realm, it's described as being like fire. Okay, well, when, when the heavenly realm and our earthly realm collide, there's always a bunch of fire. And that's what we see in both of these events. Fire. Number eight. The Israelites left Egypt on Passover, which was on the, the 10th or 15th of the first month. And 40 days later, they arrived at Sinai. Then Moses went up on the mountain of God. And 10 days later, Moses came down with the Torah, which Israel broke. And on that day that they broke it, 3,000 people died. We haven't got there yet. Spoiler alert. But it happens. First thing that's going to happen with the giving of the law is 3,000 people die. Now, transpose that to what happens in Acts chapter 2, when God gives the new covenant and he gives his Holy Spirit and and they meet with God and he sends his Holy Spirit. 3,000 people are saved. What? I just love that. I love that. Now, we're going to take a moment here. We're going to dive into this. So if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. We just got to see this. We got to see this. The reason why we spend so much time looking at law and the Old Covenant and the Old Testament is because it gives us such a wonderful appreciation for what Jesus has done for us in the New Covenant of His grace. So look at 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul says, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. How perfect is that when we consider the 3,000 people killed when the law came? And then the 3,000 people saved when Jesus and his new covenant was established. It shows you the work of the two. The law wasn't there to bring life. The law brought death. They were already sinners, but the law illuminated it and held them accountable for their sin. With the new covenant, 
Jesus is held accountable for your sin. He's killed on the cross and you are set free by faith. How wonderful. Praise the Lord. That's why we sing songs. That's why we, our hearts are transformed by this wonderful love in what Jesus has done for us in the new covenant. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He calls it the letter because there was Ten Commandments written with letters on a stone, you know, plaque or whatever you want to call it. What do they call them? Stone? Tablets. That's the word I was... I was I, every time I say that, I think iPod. and It doesn't work. <laughs> iPad. Anyway. All right. So back in Exodus, okay? Back in Exodus. Both of these events had similar sounds. And this is where it's going to start getting even just so crazy, Okay? They had similar sounds of wind and fire and smoke. And like I said, the Hebrew word for thunder or thunderings is kolot in Hebrew, which means, or kolot, which means uh, voices or languages. What do we see in Acts chapter 2? We see the Holy Spirit falls like tongues of fire, and everyone is enabled and equipped to speak in different languages all the glories of God, okay? This is crazy. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that these voices were speaking the Ten Commandments in the 70 languages of the world at that time. It says that uh, the Jewish tradition is that there were 70 Gentile nations. Now, where did they get that number? From Genesis chapter 10, where the table of nations divided the world into 70 families. And they spread apart the world. And you have you can trace all of that back today. It still is very valid for today. When you look at anthropology and the study of where men came from, they, you get back to these groups of people that further go back to the sons of Noah. Noah, it's all, you can prove it genetically that it's true. So, these, the Jewish tradition tells us that these thunderings were speaking the Ten Commandments in all these 70 different languages. And what does that tell us? It tells us that God desires to speak to the whole world. That his commandments, the whole world is accountable to them. Have you ever known that, that every tribe in the world considers murder to be wrong? Every person in the world knows inherently what right and wrong are. The Ten Commandments just put it out plainly for all of us to easily understand what's right and wrong, but it's, it's in there, okay? Now, what happens is that God wants to speak to the whole world, but only Israel is there to hear him. So he speaks to them in their language, ancient Hebrew. But his desire to speak to the whole world is accomplished in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when he fills his message into the people from all the nations of the world. And they're able to speak it because he puts his message into their hearts and they can speak it out through the languages that he gives them. So the model changes from a come and see model which is what Israel was. Israel was a nation in the world where people could come and see the glory of God and come and hear his commandments and come and know him and offer sacrifice to him there. 
Instead of a come and see model, it changes at Pentecost to a go and tell model, where we as the church are filled with God's message of love and grace, and we are now sent out to the whole world to tell them the love and grace of Jesus. Number 10, the fire at Mount Sinai was visible to all. The fire at Pentecost was individual fires on each person. In, in Mount Sinai, the people were kept away from the fire. You remember that? Moses said, God told Moses, do not let the people come close to me. But at Pentecost, the fire comes to the people. We're beginning to see these differences now. So we started by looking at the similarities. Now we're starting to see the differences, and this is the real important part here. One was a group thing, and then the second is an individual thing. Instead of a big group having one interaction with God, each person has complete access to all of God. It's amazing. All right, number 11. In both events, God gave his law to his people. And in both cases, he sealed his covenant that he had made with them. At Mount Sinai, he gave the law written on the tablets of stone. He gave it to them. But at Pentecost, he gave his law, but he wrote it on their hearts. This is one of the greatest differences that we must learn and we must know and we must understand. When the law is an external thing that you're trying to measure up to, you are living old covenant life. And what is that going to lead to? Death. Right. But when the law is written on your heart, and you're not trying to measure up to any outward standard, but you are living in obedience to what your heart now desires, that is the life Jesus has invented for you and offered to you. He says, I want to be in you, and I'm going to remove all of the, all of the things that keep us apart, and I'm just going to dwell in you. And so instead of you having to decide, what should I do when I wake up in the morning, there's one thing. It's kind of frustrating that God doesn't say what we should do every day. It was kind of nice to have the law where he said, well, in the morning you're supposed to offer these sacrifices, and then at noon you offer those sacrifices, and then at night you offer these sacrifices, and it's just all laid out for Israel, but we don't get that. Paul says we're not under the law anymore. We, can't, we don't have that direction or guidance, and so all we have is this thing called the Holy Spirit. So how does that work? Well, in every moment, we have to ask ourselves, what is the most loving thing to do? And there's not going to be a list of what the most loving thing to do is. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, show me what the most loving thing to do is in this situation. And then, and then five minutes later, another situation comes up and you seek the Holy Spirit again. Tell me, what is the most loving thing, most Christ-like thing for me to do in this situation? And you're like, well, this is way different than living by the law because the law just told me what to do and I did it. And here, I have to constantly be going back 
to the personal Holy Spirit and asking him and engaging with him and talking with him and able to hear him. How does that all happen? That's what we do. That's what being a Christian is. What is the most loving thing for me to do at this point? I don't know. But let me hear from the Holy Spirit. And so we open the word and we wait for the Holy Spirit to direct us and give us direction. And that's how we live this amazingly different life than just someone who's trying to keep the rules and goes to church every Sunday and keeps the Ten Commandments and has a picture of the Ten Commandments on their wall and they do everything they can to look the part. That's not what we are. We have to turn our back on that lifestyle and we have to say, no, I'm going to seek the Holy Spirit moment by moment of what is the most loving thing for me to do. Well, that makes people uncomfortable. People don't like doing that because it's easier to have a list of 10 things I can do and not do than have to engage with a person and I'm supposed to call them my father and I don't like my father on earth. He was a jerk. So why would God do it this way? Because God loves us and he desires relationship with us and he has set it up so there can be nothing outside of true relationship with him. All our, all our efforts to try to keep the law do not mean or equal relationship. Only humble dependence. Asking, Lord, I'm your son. I'm your child. I have your Holy Spirit. What should I do in this situation? He will answer that prayer quickly, thoroughly, and as clear as you could. Ah, oh, it's amazing. It's wonderful. You'll know what the most loving thing to do because the Holy Spirit will speak it to your heart. Amen. All right, number 12. The law attempted to change people from the outside, right? Because it was Ten Commandments on the outside. <laughs> the Holy Spirit changes people from within. Now, I'm going to give you a sneak peek of what, something we're going to look at. So they are going to break uh, the law, right? And so Moses, or Aaron is going to get really mad at them. And Moses, well, Moses gets really mad at Aaron because he led the people and they make these golden calves. And Moses comes down and he's like, what are you guys doing? I just, I go up for, you, you, ah. So Moses goes all Kylo Ren and he just, ah, like destroys this golden altar. And he grinds it up into dust. And all the people are like, whoa, Moses is crazy. And he takes the commandments and he crushes them. And he mixes the gold with the commandments. And he says, eat it. He literally makes them eat it. They have to eat the commandments mixed with the dust because Moses was trying to change their hearts, but it never works because the old covenant can't change hearts. <laughs> I love his effort though. He gave it all. I mean, he is like, oh, we are going to get this into you. Oh, man. Right? Zeal for the law, right? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen any like people that legalistic in this world, you know, but man, he tried. He gave his absolute best. The law tries to teach people how to act but it can't change their heart. Think about that. No matter how much you read the law or the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they would read the law. They had the Torah memorized. They would read it, read it. It never got down from here in their brain down to their heart because it just doesn't go that way. It doesn't fit. It can't work. The law 
man, it can't change people from the outside. The Holy Spirit, though, that's all he does. He changes people from the inside, from within. The word Torah or law means teaching. That's what the word means. The Holy Spirit is called our teacher. Isn't that crazy? The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And we're going to look at a couple verses in the Old Testament that, that are familiar to some of you, but let's look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. I just want to investigate a little bit how this whole inner work versus outer work is contrasted in the Bible for us. It's scary to let people in. I mean, half of us don't let our spouses in to our heart. It's hard for us to open up our hearts because we are scared. We have been hurt. But your father is going to get there. He is going to gently, but forcefully and firmly encourage you to let him in. By faith, you have given the Holy Spirit access, and the Holy Spirit is going to weasel his way into every part of your heart, and it's so uncomfortable because we're so used to living the way that we live with the hearts that we have and with the, the idols that we've clung to, and, and God he goes to war in such uncomfortable ways in our hearts. So in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant, which I broke, even though they broke, even though I was a husband to them, no, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more will every man teach his neighbor saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For their, I will forgive their iniquities and their sin will I remember no more. This is a wonderful treasure in the Old Testament that it's a prophecy of the new covenant, the New Testament. This is what opens the door for everything we have in the New Testament. Why we're the church? Why we're not Israelites? Okay, I'm a Gentile. I don't know about you. My family's from Germany. We're about as anti-Israel as you can get as a people. And we... We have no business being engaged with this God, but he has opened it up to us in such an amazing, amazing, loving way. He has gotten his message of love out to the whole world. So let's see, in this it says that he's going to make a new covenant, but it's totally different than the old covenant that he made with, that we're going to study in Exodus 19. And I, I'm, I'm, we're bringing this up before we study the Old Covenant in Exodus 19 and 20 and the Ten Commandments because we have to know and understand what this is all about. He says, I, I made this covenant with them and I was a husband to them. I was faithful to my side. In other words, everyone who kept the Ten Commandments, I poured out blessing. I loved them. But they were not faithful, he said. So I'm going to make a new covenant 
That's not like that old covenant. That old covenant had two parts. What God does, I will bless you. And what you do, you have to keep my rules, my Ten Commandments. The new covenant, he's going to make it completely different. Here he describes aspects of this new covenant. We know the new covenant is that Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins and we are going to do nothing. We are going to simply hear that he died for us on the cross, died for us on the cross and we're going to believe it. And that's how we enter into this new covenant. And as we enter in, God now says, I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff. And it says right here what it is. Let's start at the end. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Well, that's a wonderful part of the new covenant. You can be forgiven of your sins. Wow, that's, that's like pretty much all that they talk about. And it's so sad that that's all that they talk about. Because that's just the beginning of the new covenant. That's just the beginning of God's grace. It's just like an, a footnote in this. You know those uh, icebergs that, that sink like the Titanic and stuff? And they say that those icebergs are just like this big on the top, but under the water is like 90% of the iceberg. Well, that's what the new covenant is like. The part that most people understand is, yeah, God will forgive your sins if you believe in Jesus. And, and, and that part is easy to understand, but the other parts that, that were described here are what's even more amazing. Look at the other part. It says here, no man will know, will, uh, shall teach his neighbors saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You see, in the old covenant, the only way you could get to know God is through a priest. You had to come and you had to talk to the priest. And if you did bad things, you had to bring sacrifices and the priest would offer those sacrifices on the altar for you. And if you had a prayer, you would tell the priest and he would go in and pray it for you. And that's how people got to know God. And if God had a message for you, he would tell the priest and the priest would tell the people. And this go-between thing did not work for God. He was not happy about it because the priests were unfaithful. The people weren't as close to him, but God couldn't change it at the time because God is holy and the priest had to go through a process of becoming holy to stand in his presence and all the people couldn't go through that, couldn't become holy. So there's a problem, but Jesus fixes the problem. He makes everyone holy so that everyone can come into his presence and everyone can know him intimately and have a real connection with him, perfect access to the Father. That's something the new covenant provides. Well, that's very different than what we're going to see because in the old covenant, the list of 10 rules, you have to keep those rules perfectly to be accepted by God, but you still can't even come into his presence. That's not provided for in that covenant. So what an amazing change and blessing we have in Jesus. But it's not even over yet. Look what else he says. He says, I will take my law. This is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be my God and they shall be my people. So now we have an even deeper work of the new covenant. It works on hearts instead of external rules he's going to write his law the rules the ten commandments on our minds and in our hearts he does a complete thorough work of changing us which is so great because i can't change myself that's where the law fails is that no matter how hard i try 
I can't keep it, and I don't want to keep it. I love breaking it. But when the Holy Spirit comes into me, he changes what I love. And now what I love lines up with the law at all places. And now what I do and what, I, what, my, what my mind meditates upon is his law. And I love it. It just comes out of me. And that is what is so amazing about this new covenant. It's our teacher now. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Instead of an external list of rules, we have an internal spirit change. And that's what's so great. So turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I named my son after this verse. <laughs> well, this book anyway. So Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And we're almost done. I know. Oh, it's an easy one today. So check it out. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is one of the most amazing verses in the whole world. Because God takes responsibility for your behavior after you become a Christian. And that is insane. But he says, I will change the way that you behave if you will engage with me in the new covenant. That's my responsibility is what your of what happens to you, how you respond to it, how strong you are, how weak you are. It's all on me. I am in charge of all of it now. All I want you to do is believe the gospel. Believe the new covenant. Believe what I am offering you. That's all you have to do. Believe. And then God works out in his own timing your behavior according to his will. It is so peaceful. So now when you mess up, when you sin, this is how it practically works, okay? We know a couple things. When I mess up and when I sin, I know a couple things. Number one, I didn't have to do that. I've been made a child of God. And since I didn't have to do it, the failure isn't in God that he made me sin. The failure is simply in me. And not even that I'm a sinner because Jesus said, I have saved you from your sin. You are no longer a sinner. You're a child of God. So the failure isn't even that I didn't have the resources. The failure is that I didn't believe the gospel at that moment in my life. I depended upon something else instead of the grace of Jesus Christ. For if I would have believed on the grace of Jesus Christ and said, God, I humbly need you, God's answer is, I provide all. I give everything. I've given it all in my son Christ. I have done it all for you. I have completely redeemed you and saved you. But we struggle to believe. We have a hard time believing. 
And even though we may believe and we're saved, we believe the big picture that Jesus died for us on our sin, we have a hard time believing that Jesus can make me nice to my spouse or to my kids or he can provide me a job or he cares about my money or any of the other little things that we struggle with day by day by day. Our flesh which is not alive anymore, it's just the remnants of this, what we used to be, it, it is constantly tempted by the Lord to say, or by this enemy to say, you, you do things your way. Don't believe the gospel here. Jesus won't take care of you there. And we give in to that temptation very commonly. But the Lord, he's, he's going to be gracious to us. He's going to be patient. And he is going to develop the fruits of the Spirit. You guys heard that term before, right? The fruits of the Spirit. I want, to, I want you to remember what I said at the very beginning of, our, beginning of our study, that this was primarily an agricultural feast where they would bring the first fruits as a, as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord. This was a fruity festival. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and he produces fruit of obedience in our life. I want you to think about the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So the Holy Spirit never is going against the law, saying, don't believe that, don't do that. It just produces it in a different way than the law was producing it. The law was producing it through works and through efforts, kind of like a factory. Do you guys, when you were growing up, did you ever have a grandma who had that fake fruit on their table? <laughs> did you? Whoever accidentally took a bite. Right? It, it, how did it taste? Right? It's, it's made of plastic. It's made in a factory downtown or something. Like, that's not real fruit. You think about factories. You're driving down the road, and, you're, and there's a factory next to you. What kind of sounds do you hear with a factory? You hear sounds like, Ah! Someone drops something on their hand or their toe. You see, these are the sounds you hear, and these are the sounds of efforts. This is what you sound like when you're trying to keep the law. Anytime a Christian says, I'm trying to be a good husband, that's what it sounds like. Fire. Okay, now imagine you're driving down the road and you got the factory on your left and you're like, hmm, I wonder what kind of fruit they're producing and you see what's coming out the end and it's this plastic fruit and you go to taste the plastic fruit and it tastes horrible because it's not real fruit. Because fruit has to be produced in a garden or in a farm, someplace peaceful and the tree just sits there and it abides and it just is and it just soaks in the sun's rays, and it drinks in the water, and the sap flows through its branches, and the sap just invisibly and quietly produces a fruit. 
and you've never been driving down the road and there's a fruit tree there and you've never seen that fruit tree struggling with efforts and it's never ever ever happened but how many christians do we know how many of us that describes our christian life got to get up this morning and i'm going to pray and i'm going to try and i'm going to give and i'm going to be and and god's like calm down bro no, no, that's not how the Christian life is described. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. This abiding is, is all that's required of you. Abiding means humbly coming to the Lord, saying I need you, depending on the Lord, and it's a moment by moment by moment by moment thing. Abiding. That's, that's what we're seeing here. Okay? The change that came from the law to Pentecost is massive. Now, we didn't get to see the fire. You know, and all throughout Israel's history, they told the story of the day that the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments, and they were like, the fire was really big, and there was earthquakes, and there was blah, blah. And all their kids were like, yeah, right. No, they didn't get to see it, right? And you might be thinking, well, I haven't experienced the fire of the Holy Spirit and his fire and speaking in tongues and all that. Okay, that's fine. That doesn't mean you're not in that covenant. It doesn't mean that. The Lord is going to use you to take his message of love and grace to this world. That's the covenant you're in. All that we've described about his inner workings inside you, it is given to you today. You have as much access as any of those 3,000 people that were saved that day and those tongues fell upon them, we are in that same family. We're actually considered one body. So, what are you going to do? Are you going to go out of here and ignore God's word? Or are you going to embrace it? You're going to drink it in? You're going to eat it and digest it? And let the Lord help you live at peace without the trying and without the efforts, but in peace. You can't control your life. Nothing about it. God is in control. All you can do is take one moment and say, what is the most loving thing for me to do right now, Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm not going to ignore you. I'm not going to think I know what the most loving thing to do is because maybe it's different than what I think. And then you're going to be such a blessing to the people around you because they're going to be like, how did you know that I needed that kind of love right now? How did you know? And you're going to say, a little bird told me. The Holy Spirit, the dove, he spoke into my heart. I asked him what I could do to pour love on you right now and this is what he said. And it's just going to blow you. It, it, guys, let's do it. Let's stop living for ourselves. Let's live in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Will you guys stand with me? Let's sing a song. And by sing a song, I mean go totally crazy.
Oh, my fingers hurt. All right, Father, we want to come to you, and I thank you uh, for your great love. I thank you for your word that gives us such a clear understanding of the peace that you have brought, goodwill towards men, peace on earth. And uh, Jesus, we give you all glory for your great love that you have poured upon us today. We want to uh, live in the, the new covenant of grace. We want to humbly depend upon you. Jesus, we love you. We need you. And Lord, we want to respond right now in faith, Lord, believing your words in Jesus' name, amen. During our last song, we generally have communion available, and we do today. So uh, come up at whenever you're ready and just engage with Jesus in a very practical way as he has commanded us. Father, we love you again. I just want to pray again because, Lord, I love you. <laughs>